Okay, I want to talk to you on the subject of what you get when you give to God. And that's on your notes there right here in the notes. What you get when you give to God. And I almost can hear the objections in someone's mind. Maybe not many, but maybe someone's mind right now is, you shouldn't worry about what you get when you give to God. And I hear that, and and it's so, it sounds good, it sounds right, but can I tell you, it's not biblically true. In fact, it's not just so unbiblical, Jesus himself repeatedly taught us to think about what we would get when we give to God. And I think that sometimes we have so many off views, so many non-biblical views when it comes to money, because church people, and you're not all church people, you're, I, I, a lot of people here, you're Christians, you're godly people. How many know at all of our locations there's a difference between church people and godly people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, church people, not godly people, but church people get funny when the preacher talks about money. Thought that was much more funny than you did, but anyway. So we have these weird views and we say things like, oh, no, no, we should just give and not worry about getting back. That's not what Jesus taught. This is not on the screen. I'm going to read you some passages. This is our Lord. This is our Lord speaking to us. Luke chapter 6, 38. Give, and you might be able to finish this, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your life. Give, and it will be given to you. So you should be worried. You should be concerned. Not worried, but concerned. You should be aware that giving produces receiving. Then Matthew chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth, but lay up, and listen to these words. These are important. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth cannot destroy, rust cannot destroy, and thieves cannot break in and steal. Yeah? So Jesus is saying, look, you should give. Because when you give, you are actually putting treasures in heaven. For who? For you. This idea, oh, I don't want to worry about what I get when I give. No, Jesus says, correction, you should. You should concern yourself with this. Mark chapter 10, 29, Jesus said this, no one who has left house or brothers, mother, sister, father, who has given up things for the sake of the gospel, no one of those people will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this life, in this life, some of you are under the false impression that you are thinking, I'm going to give, and then, uh, you know, my mansion in heaven will have an extra bathroom. You know, th- no, no. First off, I don't know if we're going to be going to the bathroom in heaven, okay? But secondly, secondly, Jesus is telling us that in this life, we will gain if we give up in this life for the gospel. Are, 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 we, are we clear? And then, and then the last chapter of the Bible, Jesus' last words to the church. Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, he says, behold, I am coming soon. This is the last part, the thought he wants to leave with the church. The last chapter of the Bible, he says, and my reward is with me to give to each one according to what he has done. Like those are his final words in the Bible to us. So this idea of I don't want to worry about what I get when I give is not actually commensurate with the teachings of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to challenge you to give this week upcoming, but beyond this week upcoming, I want you to live a giving 
lifestyle. Because I believe that giving is really the truest way to live. And I want to talk to you today about the Bible's first giver. His name is Abel. Take your Bibles out, Genesis chapter 4. Stand with me at all locations. Let's read together Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Somebody say, I have gotten. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, the Lord had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you. You must rule over it. Cain spoke to his brother Abel and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, speak to our hearts, I pray, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Put a guard over my mouth. Restrict me in this moment from saying anything that would harm or hurt your people and help me to lead them to you and help us all to see Jesus. Him and him only. In his mighty name we pray and everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you, have a seat. What you get when you give to God. Let's talk about this guy, Abel. We have a lot of firsts in this text. We have a lot of firsts in this text. We have the first sexual encounter. <laughs> uh, we have the first child, the first conception. We have the first sibling. We have the first nuclear family, father, mother, children. We have the first brothers. We have the first offering to God, worship. We have the first sermon from God uh, toward an individual after the fall. We have the first rejection of God in Cain. We have the first murder, and we have the first expression of justice. But really, what this passage is about is worship. I want you to think about that for a moment. What happens between Cain and Abel is an issue of worship. They come to God with an Offering. Offering is an, an, a picture of, of worship to God. And the scriptures are clear about this. Uh, there's no question that there's a difference in the quality of the offering. The, the Bible stipulates in the course of time, Cain, you know, when he got around to it, he offered God the, the, the fruits of his soil, maybe some of the leftovers. This is where a lot of people believe you, you give to God. They, they pay their mortgage first, and then they, you know, they pay their electric bill and their sewer bill, and they you know, fund their cars and their, and their hobbies, and then they, they fund their kids, and then they fund their kids some more, and they never stop funding their kids. I'm speaking to you as a person with two children in college. Can you hear the aggravation in my voice. <laughs> and, and, and they just give all, you know, money to all these places. And then when they've paid everything else off, then if there's left over, they give to God. That was Cain. That was Cain. The Bible stipulates very clearly that 
that Abel brought the the firstborn of his flocks and, and the fat portions of his herds. The fat portions are exactly what you think they are. They were the yummy portions of the meat. Anybody love a good barbecue? Anybody love a good steak on the grill? I cook the steak on a grill, and my wife hates it when I do this, but I always go out there to cook it, and I shut the door behind me, and I make sure she's not watching because I'll cut off the fatty portions and eat them right off the grill from her steak and mine. <laughs> That's the kind of husband that I am. <laughs> God wanted the best and the first as a symbol that, that Abel and Cain, these men, would, would honor him, would put him first. Some of you have got to learn the value of giving to God because it's not losing, it's honoring, it's worshiping, and then ultimately it is receiving his blessing over your life. Abel is an interesting character, and we don't talk a lot about him in the Bible, but I thought about it as I looked at these, just these short verses, this short pericope that unpacks Abel's very short life. I got, I got three big ideas from his life that I, I want you to write down so we can build a case for what happened to him and who he is now. Number one, write this down. Abel had a unique experience in the world. If you think about it, when Abel was on the earth, he was only the fourth person on the entire earth. Fourth, what are you? <laughs> the sixth billionth? I think there's eight billion now. Maybe when you were born, there's about six or five billion. Okay, if you were born recently, you're probably seven billion. But think about being the fourth person. That means that Abel had a unique experience. And he lived on the earth in a time where there were no cities, no bridges, no public parks. No skyscrapers, no huge towering edifices to the glory of man. He walked the earth before mankind believed that they could build a name for themselves by building structures from the Freedom Tower in New York City to the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. He lived in a time where he could see the skies lit up with the stars that God not only set in place but created with the breath of his mouth. Every night he could stare up into a sky unclouded un by pollution and all of our man-made you know, issues. He could look into the deepest recesses of the cosmos and see shooting stars and comets scattering across the sky. Every morning he woke up to a, a beautiful sunset and a gorgeous uh, sunrise and a gorgeous sunset put him to sleep at night, and then the moon would cake over his body in the evening hours. This man had a gorgeous experience as he watched the very animals and the very creatures that his own father had named, right? He watched the gazelles run through the fields. He watched the elephant blow his trunk for the first time in his, I mean, this guy, had a glorious experience. It's no wonder then that Abel had a worshipful attitude because I don't know about you, but when I get out of society, when I get out of where people have crowded my vision for this glorious creation and I get out into the woods or onto a mountain or before a lake, I just behold the beauty of God's creation and there's something inside of me that just wants to say, thank you, Lord, for this world. Amen. I was at Key West um, 
two Januaries ago, Key West, the farthest reach of the Floridian Keys. And you can go and you can watch and it's scheduled and, and there's a sunset and it's the most gorgeous thing is the sun. There's not a single building, not a single ship. In fact, the boats get out of the way so that you can go to the pier and you can see the sunset at the base of Key West. And everybody around the sunset time starts to gather around. I remember it was like about 6.30 at that time of the year and they all came around and they all crowded. And before I knew it, the whole pier was packed with people from all over the world, all over the country. And they watched as the sun said, gorgeous, beautiful representation of the glory of our God. And the most amazing thing happened, that when the sun finally set, everybody cheered. Everybody just exploded into praise. And I was this close from getting up on the edge of the pier and standing up and saying, who are you clapping for? <laughs> like, you're, the Big Bang didn't do that. Darwin did not do that. Bill Gates, Elon Musk, they didn't do that. God the Father did that. It's, it's in His glory. I mean, you know, you know what I'm talking about? This was Abel's life. Fourth person in the world. Number two. Write this down. Abel had a challenging relationship with his family. And challenging is an understatement. We focus on his murder, but do you ever think about his name? The name Abel comes from the Hebrew Havel. It means breath. I always get a kick out of that name. Because if you look with me in your Bibles to Genesis 4 verse 1, and it's not on the screen right now, but in Genesis chapter 4 verse 1, it says this, Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore Cain. Notice what happens when Cain is born. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have begotten a man. And then look at the next verse. <laughs> Second born children, you're gonna love this moment. The next verse, and again, she bore his brother Abel, period. <laughs> like, like Eve, you know, you were all like, you know, very verbal when, when Cain was bo first born. How many know what I'm talking about? All the middle children, you're going to get healing right now. Because you're not alone in that situation. Your firstborn gets like mom and dad's best efforts. Secondborn, you're like, eh. He'll figure it out. She'll figure it out. Do what your brother says. Cheryl and I had two, and then we were like, okay, we're done. We had a, a, boy, a girl and a boy. We were like, right, I'm done. I used to say to people, I'm, I, got my, I got my two and I'm through. That's what I used to say. And we had a third, Jake, seven and a half years to the day after my second born son. And I did not plan for Jake. I'm so thankful for Jake. I love him. But we were so taken aback. This is a funny story, but it's true. We were so taken aback by his, by his birth that we did not do all the things that you do to get ready for a baby. We, we barely had anything. <laughs> we didn't know what, you know, I don't even, even think we got his bed ready, honestly. And then this is the funniest part of the story is that we showed up at the hospital. We still didn't have a name. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you had your firstborn, you got like the name before the conception. Your secondborn, you're like, well, let's name them about a week before they come out. And the thirdborn is like, we'll find a name eventually. Jake didn't have a name for seven days. He lived on this earth for seven days. No name. We got his name from a movie. 
I'm a pastor. It's written that pastors should name their kids for Bible characters. We were watching a movie, and then the character's name was Jake. We're like, we like that. No, his name is not officially Jacob. It's Jake. <laughs> this is like the picture, though, just you see. Like, where was the attention? Where was the interest in Abel from his own mother and his own father? And I think that the text is intentional to show us the contrast between the beauty of Cain's birth and then the kind of like afterthought of Abel's birth. And then, of course, his brother hated him. John tells us that his brother hated Abel. You don't, you don't murder people you don't hate. I always get a kick out of when our country calls it a hate crime. Like as if there's a love crime. Is there a love crime somewhere out there? It, every crime against someone is because you hate them. And uh, anyway, he was hated by his brother. He was rejected by someone that should have been his example, should have been his you know, confidant, anybody, you know, you got, don't raise your hand, but you got older sibling and they were just there for you. Abel didn't have that. Abel looked up to his older brother and got disdain in return. This was his life. I wonder who in just this short time that we have had together can relate a little bit to Abel. You're not the chosen one. You're not the preferred one. You're not the smart one. You're not the beautiful one. You're not the expert. You're not the person that everybody says, oh, they're going places. You're not the one voted by your high school class most likely to succeed. No, you're the afterthought. You're the person nobody looks at. This is Abel. But Abel stands in the annals of history as a demonstration that a person's life does not get defined by what other people say about them. When God is first in their life. You see, when you put God first in your life, because Abel, we're talking about Abel today. We're not talking about Cain. He's an afterthought. And Abel's the center of the story because Abel put God first. And therefore, God gave Abel a great testimony, a great legacy that still lives on thousands of years later after he was dead. I wonder who here needs to know that your life does not have to be defined by what your family has said about you, by what your friends say about you. You don't have to be defined by the number of Instagram followers that you have or the number of likes that you have on Facebook or how many people pay attention to your YouTube channel or how many people listen to you when you speak, but your life can be defined by who you put on the throne of your heart. And if you put Jesus on the throne, he has a way of exalting you. This passage is about worship. What's getting the worship the first place of your life. Number three, write this down. Abel related to God with a spirit of generosity. A spirit of generosity. He had a, he had a love for God. He didn't build a building. He didn't start a city like Cain would later do. He didn't invent some tool. He didn't heal some disease. He never preached a single sermon. And not one word of his, not one word of his is recorded in Holy Scripture. But we're talking about him today because he gave. We're talking about him today because Abel knew that the best way to live is to give. The best way to make your life outlive you is to make sure that you're doing your living, doing your giving 
while you're living. Amen? This is what it's about. In this passage, the Bible says, it just unpacks it for us, there in the course of time, verse three, Cain brought to the Lord an offering. If you got your notes out, just underline offering. We're gonna get to that word in just a moment. An offering the first ground. Abel also offered the firstborn. Circle firstborn. This is, these are intentional words. And then the Lord had regard. Just circle regard. I, I ask you to do these things because if you have a Bible open especially, circle words, underline, highlight. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Here, here's what I want you to write down. Um, make no mistake. Giving is an act of worship that works God's favor into your life. Giving absolutely leads to getting. I'm a living testimony of this. I should not have the things that I have. I am not worthy. I wake up every day and I just thank God for what I have. And I don't have the brains for it. I know, I know you think I'm smart, but I'm not. The Lord gives me things when I least expect them, the things that I share with you from the stage, a lot of times they're not even in my notes because the Lord knows that what I write down in good enough, he wants to give you a word in the moment. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And you want words from your father, not words from me. I look at the churches that I get to lead, the children that I have. There are undeserved blessings there is one principle that I have preached and I have lived that I have just banked my life on other than salvation is the principle of giving to God. And I know you can give to the United Way and UNICEF and secular pro and hospitals and all. Yeah, that's great. But there's no giving like giving to God. Next week at all of our locations, you've got an amazing opportunity to go above your regular giving, your tithes and offerings, and give to the future generational impact of our church and our school. And I think that when you get to heaven, you may not see it in your life, but when you cross through the pearly gates, you walk through the doors of heaven, there's gonna be someone running up to you saying, thank you for what you gave when you were on this earth because of your giving, I received Jesus Christ and instruction through Waters Church Academy and now I am here today. That is absolutely what I believe is going to happen. But worship, worship is about giving, it is. And so when I look at Abel's life, I see worship in giving. And then I think about, well, what did he get? Because this is the title, this is the theme of the message. What did he get? What did Abel get by giving? Five things and then we're done. Some of you are like, you're not even on point one yet? Okay, all right, let's go through them quickly. Number one, here's what he got, number one. Interest from God. He got interest. When you give to God, he pays attention. When you give to God, he takes notice. I loved this phrase when I ran across it. I never even saw it before until I studied this text for you guys this week. Look what it says in chapter four, verse four, the last part of the four, when, when it says Abel brought his firstborn. And the Lord had what? Regard for Abel and his offering. Just look first at the word regard. The word regard in Hebrew is sayah. 
Sayah. Some Hebrew words are cool to say. Just somebody say, Sayah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that just means that you're interested in something. Like when you see that girl, young, young man, who, you know, catches your attention, you can just say, Sayah. This is what the Lord did with Abel when he saw Abel bring the first. Sayah. Someone is connected to who I am. Somebody understands that everything he has comes from me. This is a principle of scripture repeated throughout the biblical text. Psalm 24 verse one says, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. First Chronicles chapter 29, David giving all of his money to the kingdom, to the, to the building of the temple, says, who am I, Lord, and what am I giving you? I'm only giving you what you first gave me. And Deuteronomy 12 says that, 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 that it is the Lord who gives you the power to gain wealth. Everything that you have right now, God allowed that to be given to you. Some of you think, oh, I pulled myself up by the bootstraps and I went to the school and I got the degree and I got the job and I worked at the internship and I did all these things. Well, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. You didn't have anything to do with the people who crossed your path at the right time, did you? You didn't, have, you didn't even have anything to do with your birth or where God placed you on this earth. I had a thought, it might be a questionable thought today, but I was at a coffee shop and and there was a guy serving me the coffee, and he was about my age, and I just said to myself, you know, the only thing that's different between me and him was God's choice in where we were born. I mean, I couldn't look down on him. I wasn't looking down on him. I was just thinking about, this is not me. I didn't do this. This was humbling. God chooses. God positions. When, when you get a hold of that, it starts to loosen the grip. <laughs> that you have on your stuff. Because if God gave it to me the first time, God can give it to me a second time. And what can, God, what can God give some of you when you let go of what he's already given you? You see, I can't, I can't pour anything into this hand because it's closed-fisted. The only way this can can get anything more is I gotta open it up and let what's in it fall out of it so that God can fill it again. Are you getting this? The Bible, the, the, the Bible says that Jesus watched as the people gave their temple offerings. And the scripture says in Mark that he saw the rich throwing in large sums of money into the temple offerings. But Jesus got his, what got Jesus' attention that day was a, a poor widow who came with two coins, two small, and she dropped two little coins into the offering box. And the Bible says that Jesus said that he noticed he noticed her, truly, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they contributed, verse 44, out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. And then what does he say? All she had to live on. She was esteemed because she gave. Jesus' attention was on her because she gave. I don't know who I'm talking to today. You, you'd like God to pay a little bit more attention to you. Is there anyone, and don't raise your hand here, please, but is there anyone here who says, man, I wish that the Lord would just kind of like pay a little bit more attention to me. I don't want much, but I could use a little bit of a boost. Give. Give. Be a generous person. Because this is the heart of God. 
First Samuel chapter 2.30, God says, those who honor me, I will honor. <laughs> it's pretty clear in scripture, isn't it? Those who despise me, those who bring me the leftovers, they're gonna be lightly esteemed. And I didn't put this passage on your notes because I didn't want you to freak out when you saw it coming in, but I'm gonna put it up on the screen. It's the pastor's go-to mess. the pastor's go-to passage when it comes to tithing. Malachi 3:10. Bring the full tithe. Bring. You bring. You don't give it. You bring it. Why? Because it's not yours. I can't give you what's not mine. I bring to God what's his. I bring the first. Tithe means tenth. One tenth. This, I have done this my whole life. You bring one tenth of what you get into the house of God. And God says. Put me to the test. I want you to try it out. Some of you have never done this before. This is your week to start. This is your season to start. And try it. Test God. He actually says it. He doesn't say test me about anything else, but this one, test me. And then see if I will not throw open the windows of heaven and pour such a blessing on your life that there's no more need. And then this verse that comes next, I love it even more than the first verse. Malachi 3.11. And I will rebuke the devourer. Oh, I, I don't know if you've got a devourer on your life, but I got a couple that want to come after mine. Inflation is a devourer, friend. Anybody notice that the more money the government gives you, the more money the government eventually takes from you? Anybody notice how quickly the stocks can go down? How quickly your 401k can shrink when you were promised that it would grow? What did you do? You did what Jeremiah talked about the people of Israel. My people have put water into cisterns with holes in them. Instead of trusting in me, the fountain of living water, they've trusted in the things that this world can give them. God says, if you put me first in your finances, I will rebuke the devourer. I give to God's kingdom because I know I bring the tithe, because I know that when I do, God steps between me and disaster. God steps between me and, 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 and loss. God steps between me and fraud and identity theft. God steps between me and all these things that could come after my lifestyle, my life, livelihood, and God protects me and says to the devil who wants to destroy me, I rebuke you. And ladies and gentlemen, God's rebuke is that powerful that when he rebukes, the devil can't stand. Some of you gotta try it. You gotta test God and you'll see it happen. Number two, what did Abel get by giving a happy life? He got a happy life. Now everybody wants happiness, but nobody really knows how to get it. And what, what life does is that it offers us all these, these secondary solutions and they are secondary. And you know why they're secondary? Because the moment that you get it, you realize that it's not what you were looking for. You think when you're young, if you find love, you'll be happy. And then when you find love, you, you realize that love is just complicated. And it's hard. And it's difficult. And I say this as, I say this as a joke, but it's really, it is serious. Like somebody, as soon as I get married, I'll be happy. No, you won't. See, I know you want to laugh there, but it's really true. Like, marriage just brings in another set of complications. Oh, when I have kids, I'll be happy. No. You know, let me, let me go to the concert. I'll be happy. The concert will end. The friends will leave. The, 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 the house will get old and decrepit. You'll have to call the plumber, the electrician. You know, this is life. That's, so all these secondary pursuits to be happy. Look, you can't put your happiness in them. You have to find your happiness the way God has prescribed happiness to happen. 
Now, in order to find this in Abel's life, we have to look at the contrast of his brother Cain's life. Look at verse 5 in Genesis chapter 4. It says, but for Cain and his offering, God had no regard. Got no regard for Cain and his offering. And um, so Cain was what? Very what? Angry. And his face fell. Now, the word Cain, the name Cain, comes from the word gotten, which Eve, his mother, says when he's born. I have gotten. I mean, the word gotten in Hebrew is Cain. Isn't it amazing that Cain's name means gotten? Cain, through his name, is teaching us today that the people who think that if I get, I'll be happy are actually going to be angry. And your face is going to fall. The word is picturesque in the Hebrews. It's that he was just downcast. And the word for angry is he was steaming hot mad. He was steaming hot mad. He was not just angry, like mild. No, he was, he was ticked off because God didn't pay attention to him. And so on the flip side, if you look at the contrast, you look at Abel, you have a man who God looked with favor on, and he, and he blessed, he was interested in. And so if Cain was angry because he didn't give his best to God, it is not a far-fetched rationality to think that Abel was happy because he gave to God. He wasn't angry, and he, and he wasn't depressed. Jesus said these words in, in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. He said, it is more blessed to what? Give than to what? Receive. You see, when you receive, you, you, it's an act of dependence. It's not, it doesn't fill your body with a sense of well-being. It's, oh, I guess I need you to help me, all right, I guess. Yeah, and, and we do that, and that's fine, but when you give, it's like, wow, look at how I was able to help someone. Look, I was able to bless. I was able to think beyond myself. That's all the research, by the way, proves that when you give, you're happier. There was a study done in 2017 at the University of Zurich in Switzerland. And they took 100 people, broke them up into two groups, 50 in one, 50 in another. They said, we're going to give each of you $100 in two weeks. The first group, they said, but we want to take, and you are going to take the $100 in two weeks that we're going to give you, and we need you to start thinking now about how you're going to give it to somebody else. And the other group, they said, we're going to give you $100 in two weeks, and you're going to think about what you're going to do for yourself. And they sent them out to think for two weeks, and then they sent them the $100. Guess what happened? They hooked up their brains to these instruments to read their neurological synapses, and they, you know, magnetically imaged their brains and they found that all the happiness centers of the brain were flaring off to the nth degree in the group that was told to plan to give. And they realized that they didn't even have to give. They just had to plan to give and already the happiness sensors started to go off in their brain. And everybody who was planning to spend money on themselves, they no reaction to the happiness centers of their brain. The point was very clearly made scientifically. You know, when the Bible and when science matches up, listen. Yeah? Give and you will be happy. I'm so tired of this generation that we keep talking about this younger generation, Gen Z. They're more depressed than ever before. The depression is a serious problem. L young Gen Z people, I don't even know who you are, but you're the young people that all the old people complain about right now. And, and so, I, I, you know, whoever you are, if you say you're Gen Z, that's fine. I'll, I'll just accept it, you know, because men can be women now. But anyway, you, you say, I'm Gen Z, that's me. And they, they're talking about how depressed you are, how sad you are, how lonely. There's no hope for you. You need a pill. You need therapy. You need, you know, counseling. You need a doctor. You need a prescription. No, I think you need to be a giver. I think you need to give. 
Yeah, Gen Z, young people, start now when you got nothing. Because it's a heck of a lot easier. <laughs> I've been, like I said, I've been tithing 10% since I was 19 years old. And, you know, when you make $16,000 a year, tithing 10% is like, no biggie. That's what I was making when I was 19 years old. But when you start to make some money, it's like, whoa. I don't know. No, no, no. I do know. He's in control. And he can do more with my 90% than I could ever think about doing with 100%. I mean, I just think, man, just wouldn't it be amazing too? Because with giving, there's no copay. Huh? What's your therapist charging you? What's your school counselor? What's your guidance counselor? What are they costing you? How much do you got to pay for the pills? I want to know. Because what if you took that money and you gave it to people who needed it or you put it into the kingdom and God started to elevate your heart? That's number three, by the way. What did, what did Abel get by giving? He got an elevated heart. An elevated heart. His heart was lifted. His face was lifted. Again, we have to use Cain as a contrast because the text centers on Cain. But it's really telling us about Abel. Look at it in verse six. It says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? By the way, can we just stop there for a second and realize something? There were two brothers. One was doing what was good. One was doing what was evil. Who did God reach out to? Which one? The one that was doing evil. Isn't it amazing? What a picture of God's grace. God doesn't, God doesn't come to Cain and say, shame on you. You should just be giving more. No, what does he do? The care, the compassion of our father. Look at him. Why? Why are you angry? Why are you sad? Why are you depressed? Why? You know. You know the prescription. Your, your brother's doing it. If you do it, it says, if you do well, verse seven, what does he say? If you do well, will you not be what? Now, the word accepted is a weak word in the English. It really is. It shouldn't be translated accepted. It actually is the very same word for you're lifted up, a face lifted up, exalted. Here's what God is saying. If you do this, will you not be exalted? Will you not be elevated? Will you not experience my grace in your life? Some of you, this is what God is saying to you now. Is he a really big God? That, that he can take care of you? That he's got the cattle on a thousand hills? That he never runs out of money? That he can find ways to bless you in ways that you can't even think about? When you give, he will give it back to you. And he pays extraordinary interest. Proverbs eleven twenty five 25 says, whoever brings a blessing will be enriched. One who waters others will himself be watered. This is how God has programmed the human condition to operate properly. Not by getting and acquiring and keeping and iron fist gripping what you have, but by being a channel through which God's blessings flow. Number four, God gave Abel an eternal legacy. That's point number four. An eternal legacy. Like I've already said, um, we're talking about him today. <laughs> this guy who lived a very short life. And uh, we already talked about Cain's name means what? 
gotten, gotten or getting or acquiring. Abel's name is the word havel in Hebrew. It means breath. I think I already told you that, but it's just short. That's what life is. Life is short. The older I get, the more I realize how short life is. When I was first having children, people would come up to me in church and they would say, enjoy it. It goes so quickly. Do you know what? Now I'm the one saying that to other people. Because, you know, when you have two kids in diapers and poops flying everywhere, it doesn't feel like a short time. But it goes so fast. And before you know it, it's over. And a picture and my memories popped up of my little, my little, you know, oldest, who is now 23. And she popped up from when she was nine. And I was like, ah, I wish I could pick her up and hug her and squeeze her. But I can't pick her up anymore. If I tried, she'd be like, Dad, don't. Life is short. So what are you doing with that? What are you doing with that? Because, because a life will, you're, the only way to outlive your life is to give. It's the only way. On this earth, the only way to lengthen your life. By the way, back to that study in the University of Zurich in Switzerland, they also found that the people who give on a longitudinal study lived longer than those who didn't. You know, this is just science in the Bible. So Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of faith. Every sport has a hall of fame. God's, God's Bible has a hall of fame too, but it's called the hall of faith. It's Hebrews chapter 11. And the first name on the list, hmm? Abel. Hebrews 11.4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice though, th through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith, though he died. Look at those last three words. He what? Man, you want your life to speak la after you're dead? Give. Give. It might not be spoken about in the halls of humanity, but guess where it is going to be talked about? It's going to be talked about in the halls of heaven. I, I want to bring you to a passage that I always interpreted wrongly. Let me first read the verse for you. It's Proverbs 18, 16. It's not in your notes, but it's, you can write it down for later if you want. It says, A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. All my life, you know pastors are still learning, right? All my life, I thought that that verse meant your talent, as in gift is a talent. So all my life, I have interpreted that verse to say, if I use my talents and develop my talents, then God will make a way for me. It's not the word. The word in the Hebrew is offering. I, have, I stand corrected. Do you know when I found that out? Today. I literally asked the people in the back to put that verse in at the last minute, right before service. Because like, this is so important, I gotta share with them. That if you're a giver, <laughs> it's gonna make room for you. It's gonna bring you before the great. Now, remember, it's a wise saying, it's not a promise. Don't interpret the Proverbs as a promise, a guarantee, but it's a wise saying. It's, it's, it's Solomon saying, more often than not, when you're a giver, it's gonna expand your life, it's gonna elevate your life. Case in point, Abel. Abel. Number five and finally, what did Abel get by giving? A significant death. Now this is a very morbid point, I get it. Like really? That's how you're gonna end the sermon? A significant death? 
Okay, here. Newsflash. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this, right? You are going to die. The mortality rate is hovering right around 100%. Has been for <laughs> generations. Okay? So, I have found in my life, and ministers are often more, cl- more closely related to the death experience than normal people. It's like morticians and pastors are around a lot of dead people. We're the ones who get called into the hospital. I have experienced and led people in deathbed conversions. I have held people's hand when they pass from this life to the next. I have had people, I have met with them after the doctor gave them the diagnosis, six months, three months, three weeks. Now I'll tell you something about those people. I will tell you something about those people. Those people are more alive than anybody. Oh, yeah. I can't, I can't speak for unbelievers, but I can speak for believers. Believers in Jesus Christ, when they know they got three weeks left, when they know they got six months left, when they know they got a year left, my God, they come alive. Everything is great. Everything is a blessing. They're just ready to just, just enjoy life. Why? Because they know they're dying. And I think that sometimes this is what the church should be doing more regularly is to remind people. I mean, this is really where you're only going to hear this. This is the only place where you're going to hear this. You're going to die. Get ready. Get ready. You can go to a concert and they'll say, I'm going to live forever. It's a lie. You can build a a building, put your name on the side of it. You're still going to die. You can start a school. You can fund a university. You can can have a hundred kids. You're still going to die. And the difference between an insignificant death and a death that echoes for eternity is giving. Case in point. Abel is pointing to someone else. He's pointing to our true Abel. The true son who offered a perfect, acceptable offering of his blood for us. You see, in this story, we're not Abel. We're Cain, condemned to die. Sinners who deserve punishment and banishment and exile from the presence of God. We're the ones who murder. We're the ones who hate. We're the ones who get jealous and envious. We're the ones who lie and steal and lust and be prideful and arrogant and boastful. We're those people. But there's a man who came from God and his name is Jesus Christ and he died for us. Our true Abel shed his blood for us so that we aren't exiled from God. We are brought close to God. We are accepted by God. We are loved by God. And we belong to God through Jesus Christ who died the most significant death in human history. A.D., B.C., history revolves around his death. Humanity is divided on how they picture his death. You either believe his death was the end or you believe his death was just the beginning. I believe his death was just the beginning. And because he died and rose again, I'm going to live again even after I die. The Bible says that through Abel's faith, though he died, 
he still speaks just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. And he is telling Waters Church today, if you give, you will start to live. Write this down, sermon in a sentence. God blesses giving with a life and legacy that no one can take from me. No one can take from me. That's what giving does. And the reason why we give is because he first gave his life for us.